Hi there, ballers, and thanks for downloading the 106th episode of Scoring at the Movies, the sports movie podcast that drops every other Thursday. We review motion pictures with athletic achievements in them, and we spoil them. Lately, it's only flicks with one word in the title. Secretariat, bruised, rush, now hustle. Anyway, I'm the world-weary dude who listens to Robert Duvall's advice and never backs down. Okay, I often back down. I'm a wimp. And it would also be fair to razz me about my weight, Ryan Ellis. And here's the cruise missile, or the boa, if you're Dr. J, who misses his daughter like crazy, and by that I mean his cat. Number 22, the Lord of Hip Hop, and B-Ball, Christy Gregorio. Thank you, Ryan. That is a surprisingly accurate description of me. I do often miss my cat, and much like Bo Cruz, I was detained at the border coming over to your place today because of some unspeakable acts that will remain somewhat nebulous, but I definitely did in the past, so... We'll leave it there. Always in the movies about people who are otherwise good, but have something like that in their backstory, it's for a good cause. And this was for a good cause. He was defending was against it? a jerk. Good cause might be a stretch because... It Better was... than it sounds at first. How about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Movies do this a lot. They need to establish some sort of conflict that probably wouldn't happen in real life. So they leave a lot of stuff unsaid. And that's kind of the thing with Bo and his assault charge in the past. Everyone just says, he's been charged with assault. Or I guess they say aggravated assault, I think, which obviously implies something a little bit worse. Mm -hmm. But this kid is 22 years old. He has one criminal charge in his history. I could certainly see people making mistakes when they're young, getting charged once, and then saying, okay, well, I learned my lesson. If he had, like, a long criminal record of violent crimes, fine. But one criminal charge... And everyone acts like he's ensconced in the gang warfare life of West L.A. or something. Not going to touch him. Which is kind of hilarious when you look at the NFL, where people are playing in the league and actively shooting people <laughs> on the side. And the NBA is not quite that level, but it's also not a sparkling clean league either. Mm. But I also raised a Spockian eyebrow, because it's exactly what you said, right? As soon as you hear... Bo has this assault in his past, and we don't get told anything about it. But you see what kind of person he is. There's no way it's actually that he was the jerk. And you just know in a movie like this, they're also setting that up so that later on you find he was actually doing it for a quote-unquote good reason. I thought it was going to be like somebody attacked him in an alleyway, or him and his wife, or I guess not wife, but his kid in an alleyway. His baby mommy? His baby mama, maybe, I don't know. Instead, it's like... The woman who is the mother of my child was told by her now boyfriend to get sole custody so they could get money from the government, which is a scummy thing to ask a father for. But he goes over to this dude's place and then says, I just went there to talk and I made a mistake. So we never actually find out what he ended up doing to this guy. And because it's an aggravated assault, not just assault, if he just punched him, that would be assault. So to be aggravated assault, it means... It's a weapon, isn't it, usually? Or it could just be like, I beat the ever-loving hell out of him versus just a punch or a You could swear. This movie swears. God damn it. Yeah. Motherfucker. 
<laughs> I probably shouldn't have laughed a little bit, but when that moment was playing out, it was just such like a little bit of a cliched thing, and I didn't think it quite stuck the landing too hard mm. on it. This movie, though, does pay things off better than two weeks ago's movie yes, does. that is very fair. It does. Because we thought that The Express was not a bad film. That's right, I said all the recent movies of one-word titles. That does have The Express, but we have had quite a few one-word titles like The Secretariat, Bruce, and so on. But The Express did have that failure of following through on some of its things, and that frustrated us. This generally does follow through on stuff it sets up, Mm -hmm. including Adam Sandler's character with his father figure, the barely-seen Robert Duvall, but then, and I don't mean this as a criticism, because I actually enjoy this movie more than I thought I would. I liked it quite a bit. But Sandler, do you think he's going to be a father figure to somebody else in the film? Like he had a father figure that we have to assume he was because we barely see that. Yeah. I, How do you cast Robert Duvall and use him for three minutes? He's a plot point. That's all he is in this film. What was the other recent example of that we saw? A really big name actor that showed up for like 30 seconds of screen time. Robert Duvall has more than that. He's got probably five to ten minutes of total yeah, It might be time. three to five at the most, really. Yeah, maybe about that. It's a funny choice. And when we see this happen, especially with older actors, are they now just taking projects where they know they can go to set for like a day, uh-huh. get it out of the way, and that's it? They want to stay active, but they don't want to be locked into a multi-week shooting schedule anymore. Within the context of the movie, his character also does have to die. That's uh, true. The story does depend on that, and it's very important that he does. And yeah. I like the very brief amount of screen time Sandler has with Duvall because you can see how these two do like each other. The chemistry they had together worked for me beautifully. Duvall never says it, but you can tell that he's disappointed in Vince, Ben Foster's character, as his actual son. He wishes that Stanley was his son. Yeah. I did find the relationship between Stanley and the daughter-sister. Heidi Gardner, MVP on SNL, hasn't done very many movies. This is one of the few she's ever done. And I feel like when I looked at the credits on IMDb during the screening... Because this movie, as we record it, is a day and a half old. We released this two weeks after that, but we were watching it. We saw it the day it got released. I knew who Heidi Gardner is because I've seen SNL, and I think she's one of the best things on that show. But I thought, where is she in the credits? What's her character name? And I couldn't find her. But when you look now, she's maybe 10th or so build. And yes, she's the sister of Ben Foster. Right. And she comes back, and they're set up on payoff. He can have the team, but at the end, of course, she's the savior by coming back in and, no, my brother's doing a bad job with the team that my dad loves, so I'm going to fix things. She doesn't say it quite that way. She's not that condescending, but it seems like that's what happens. And, of course, Stanley, who's made an assistant by Duvall, at the end is remade an assistant by Gardner after Foster had said, no. I really enjoyed it a lot, too, more than I thought I would, too. I think part of the reason for that is it is unabashedly... A total Rocky movie. Absolutely. Set in Philadelphia. And he runs up a set of stairs at the end of that hill, does the punching in the air, and Adam Sandler says, yeah, Rocky, right? So they call out the fact that it is very much that. It's also Jerry Maguire, the desperate agent with one client. I was going to say that too. It's like a Not agent in this. He's whatever. We might as well be an agent once he quits. He almost is, effectively. Mm -hmm. That character, the sister character. Heidi Gardner. But what's the character's name? Oh, Cat. Is it Cat? Okay. Mm-hmm. I found her relationship with Adam Sandler's character as portrayed on screen confusing because it came across to me very flirty. And I think I think that's the subtext they're going for. You think so? Which is that Stanley would never cheat. We see that in the scene yes. with Leon. Just look once. Look at those titties once. <laughs> I can't good. do it. Teresa will kill me. And I really like the chemistry between Sandler and Queen Latifah. 
They're yes. not on the screen together a ton, but the first time we see him with her and the daughter played by Jordan Hull, who hasn't done a lot of things yet. She was I on TV she was, a bunch. She was pretty good in this. Thing. I love the chemistry with the three of them in that first time they're together. And we don't see them maybe enough in this movie, but it's not really about their family. Right. It's not great to see Queen Latifah playing the supportive wife role, but at least she's given some sass and whatnot. And she knows a lot of people, too. So she's the one that says, I'm calling this guy. I'm going to solve this problem for you because she knows Dr. J. She's the one that calls Dr. J That's using right. Stanley's phone. But she's got that kind of clout with him, not just Stanley does. So there's a little bit of juice that that character maybe wouldn't have had in a movie 20 or 30 years ago. So the flirty subtext with Kat is probably not meant to be that Stanley has ever been really tempted because I think he's been with Teresa for a long time. Yes. But I think there's supposed to be this, I would never do anything about it, but I do like you. And if I could, there'd be more there. Okay. And that's how it played to me too. Obviously, that's why I mention it. But my conscious mind is thinking that doesn't make a lot of sense because of exactly what you said. Stanley's character in this movie is obviously devoted to his wife. He's given no indication that he's ever thought about straying, despite the fact that he's been a scout for nine years, basically never home. When he travels, he watches people play basketball, and he eats. KFC, apparently. Many times. When leaving Spain. But I wondered if the movie had intended to go for brother-sister playfulness. Especially given what you just said. Because Vince is not really her brother. He may be literally her brother, but he's not her brother. Exactly. And I felt like, okay, so they're both trying to play the fact that Robert Duvall views Sandler's character as a bit of like a quasi-son, a replacement maybe for Vince. This works too. Even when you see them together later in the movie when Kat returns to the picture, it felt a little weird. But I still think it's a needed attempt at that relationship because if you didn't have her character in the movie at all, it becomes even more of a difficult thing to wrap up. And as it was, I struggled a little bit with the wrap up of the movie being that Vin apparently is ousted by his sister because we've all seen owners that are hated by their fan bases. I think James Dolan in the NBA is probably case example number one with the Knicks. Yeah definitely meddled in the operations of the team to the detriment of the team. And it's not like they're like, well, okay, the board's going to force me out, or my sibling, who presumably is a 50-50 co-owner with me, is going to force me out. He would have to leave on his own accord. If the movie had set it up earlier that he was doing this for the cachet, the fame of being the owner of the 76ers, but he didn't really care about it, once he gets a little bit shamed in the media... I could see him walking away, giving it to his sister and saying, screw it, I'm going to take my inheritance, I'm going to go live the playboy lifestyle. But Kat says to Sandler, he really needs this. He really wants it. So well, I'm going to never give it up then. Yeah, he would never give it up. That element of it rang a little false for me, even more so because it wasn't really needed, right? I guess they wanted Sandler to end up in the coaching position with the 76ers because of his long-term relationship with the father. They wanted to square that circle at the I end. I also like that he's an assistant coach, not the head coach. Yeah, he could have theoretically been hired as an assistant coach by Mark Jackson or somebody else. We see Brad Stevens with the Celtics, and Celtics ultimately end up drafting Bo. Right? We see a lot of real NBA people in this movie. Which I love. It made it seem like such a more realistic movie, the yep. fact that they got so many people. And Anthony Edwards, who plays Kermit in this, mm-hmm. he was drafted a couple of years ago, number one overall. He's become a real solid shooting guard in the NBA. But I really enjoyed his performance. Solid actor. Him getting under Bo's skin, I thought Mm -hmm. was a lot of fun. And even like the little smaller cameos in this movie by guys like Tobias Harris and Trey Young and stuff. Mark Jackson, of course. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of speaking lines, but for the most part, Dirk Nowitzki. When they were asked to do it, they're convincing. They're convincing. I didn't know that Wancho Hernan Gomez was a real player either until I started looking this up during the screening. 
I know nothing about him. He's an NBAer. When you go on Wikipedia, what? yeah, he actually was an NBAer. Maybe he still is, but he definitely has played in the NBA at some point or another. Makes he's sense. never done anything TV or movie until this thing. Mm-hmm. But considering he's effectively the second lead, working with a guy for all of his faults, he's been a movie star for a very long time. He holds his own, and I thought he was pretty good. But Sandler, we've now covered him three times. We like Happy Gilmore. Is he good in the movie? Yeah, for the way it's written by him and his friends. Fine, yes. The Waterboy, he's not good in that movie, but it's an enjoyable film in its own right, and it was a blockbuster. This guy has proven again, and I know I said this on one, if not both of those other podcasts, that I like him as a person, Adam Sandler, as a human being. He's a good guy. He cares about his friends, although there's no Schneider cameo in this. Alan Covert, I believe, is a producer, so we talked about him. Alan Covert's worth him a ton of times, but we don't yeah. see the typical people. Kevin James isn't in this. Any kind of Nobody role. popped up in the stands of the combine yelling, Jack! Or, or, or you can do it. You can do it. That would have been the one. And that would have been fine if that was one little moment where that happened. But he doesn't rely on this. Yeah. But Sandler proved it in Punch Drunk Love 20 years ago. And certainly in Uncut Gems. And this movie's not that similar to Uncut Gems. But this is a comedic performance. There are some laughs. I did laugh at this movie. It's not that funny, but I enjoyed myself. That's the thing. It's more enjoyable than truly hilarious. Yes. But this guy is, when he does this kind of thing, so much the everyman. I really like Sandler for two straight hours in this film. And I cannot say that about a lot of his other performances in the history of his career, including Happy Gilmore and The Water Boy, where he gets a little tiresome. And the chemistry, the father-son relationship, obviously, is what they're going for, too with Hernan Gomez, so Bo, is pretty believable. I wasn't emotional watching this movie, but I could see if somebody was, why they would be. I can't say it any better. I thought his performance was fantastic, and he really did a good job of straddling the line between being a sympathetic and slightly sad character, but then, like you said, bringing a comedic element throughout a long stretch of this movie. Not laugh out loud, though I also did laugh a few times, especially when he was trying to toughen up Bo, Mm -hmm. and he was just laying out the insults while they're practicing. It really does remind you that he's got these chops when he wants to bring them out. I did feel emotional a few times in this movie. And I felt angry at Adam Sandler's character early on when he was eating KFC on an airplane because you do not bring smelly food (laughs) and eat it in an airplane. Such a dick move. Okay, Mia Copa, I love KFC. Well, I don't love it as much as I used to because it's not as good as it used to be. But it is my favorite fast food, which I don't eat all that often, really, actually. But because I don't smell things that well, I honestly don't know if it smells that much. Okay, fair enough. I will cut you some slack because I know that to be true. I'm joking, of course. I wasn't really that mad. I just thought it was funny that they purposely put in a scene of him eating KFC coming back from Spain on an airplane. It is a running joke, though, that he's looking a little tubby. Well, he gra- And a former athlete, too. Yeah, he grabs the steak off of the plate of Bo later. He was going to go eat that. He wasn't going to. He did. When oh, he was- I must have looked down. I didn't see him actually do that. I thought this was going to lead somewhere. Maybe I took a note and didn't notice. Yeah, because he grabs it, and they go in the car, and they take Bo to do his hill runs or whatever, right? Is he nibbling on he's it? He's biting oh, okay. on the steak at that point. So. There's 39 bucks. He's got to not waste that. Yeah, exactly. One bite. But later in the movie, and I'll tell you where I did get emotional, you definitely feel for Sandler's character throughout the movie because he's dealt a real bad hand by the passing of Robert Duvall's character and then later by Ben Foster's character. But at the point when we find out that Bo doesn't get into the Combine initially, it sets up the resume of Sandler's character in a professional capacity very well, just by his interaction with other people. He knows Dirk Smabinski. He knows Mark Jackson. He knows all these people, and they all love him, and they speak highly of him and how knowledgeable he is. And then we get the scene where he's calling around. The GMs, yeah. I spoke at your camps for X years. Jerry Maguire reminded me so much of that. Exactly. But this I felt more affecting than that, I have to be honest with you. And he keeps getting turned down, and you see his frustration, whether personally or professionally, and definitely in my case professionally. 
when you go out of your way just because you want to be a nice person and help people out and you do things for people and then years later when you find yourself in a pinch and you reach out to the people you've known maybe a little quid pro quo can you lend a hand and you get told no 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 and you're like what the hell has it all been for you don't necessarily do good things because you expect that to come back to you later on right you do good things because you want to do good things but the hope i think underlying all of that is that it's kind of like a karma thing when the time comes when you inevitably will need help from somebody, they will be there for you. Yeah, karma's not supposed to be, as people often say, that you've done bad, so you'll pay for it later. It's more about you've done good, and then you'll be rewarded in some kind of way, or at least not punished. That's more what karma actually is. It's karma, understand. Kramer. And I don't <laughs> say it from like a Buddhist perspective. You just kind of hope that you do enough good in the world that people will think well of you, and they will be happy to help you later on. So when I saw that, because I've experienced that professionally... My heart just wrenched. Well, and Sandler, of course, has done rage so often in films, and that's what he's doing there, I think, to a big degree, is that throwing their phone across the room moment of complete disappointment and rage and anger that these people are letting him down. Maybe they don't individually owe him something, but it sounds like it's been a lot of them have all said, no, 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 no. And that's why I was very impressed by his performance, because he did have different gears in this movie. He had the sad, slow gear, he had the commute Mm -hmm. gear, but this was the rage gear. And because we've become familiar enough with his character to that point, you know he's not a guy that flies off the handle all the time. So Mm -hmm. the fact that he's screaming into his phone at home, you know this isn't the first call he made. It's probably not the 10th call he made. It might be the 20th, 30th, 40th call, and he's just at the end of his rope. I just thought that was a really emotionally effective scene. It was like the emotional bottom, the emotional pit of the movie. And then from that point on, we're just watching Sandler's character try to find a way to claw out of this. And she's playing the supportive wife. But in that scene, Queen Latifah does play that well of being a supportive wife. I think that's exactly right. And the reason why it works so well is because it wasn't that long before that scene that Sandler owned up to the fact that, hey... I quit. They had the fight. We expect a fight like this with the loving couple. And they had that already. But yes, now she's back in him when he needs her to. One of the things I really enjoyed about this movie is that with a few small exceptions, I thought most of the characters behaved in a believable way and by and large communicated like human beings communicate. The fight with Queen Latifah, how many times, especially rom-coms and stuff, you get the moment where the girlfriend stumbles in in a compromising situation that's totally innocent but looks mm-hmm. bad. And rather than just saying, I just came in here and explained it in two sentences, the character's like, oh, but, oh, but, oh, but, no, come back. And then right. it becomes a big thing. In this movie, that fight between Queen Latifah and Adam Sandler, he explains, I quit. She gets mad at him. He says, why are you mad at me? You told me I should quit. And she owns up to it. Yeah, I did. But now that you did it, I'm super anxious about it. And I'm mad. And then she leaves. And I'm like, Yeah, that's a human response. Very human response. She gets over it. And then later on, when he's in this pit of despair, another great scene, I thought, because Adam Sandler's character doesn't even say anything intelligible. He basically says, I just, I just, and then collapses into some quiet sobbing and she just hugs him. Another great human moment. I was really impressed with some of the writing in this movie, I Mm. have to say. So let's talk about the bona fides of this movie. There's not that much to say yet because it was released streaming, but Hustle was released by Netflix just a few weeks ago as we post this, but a few hours ago as we record it, June 8th, 2022. We never know if streamers are big hits unless the company tells us they are, but Sandler has done well for Netflix in the past, and this is a pretty good movie, I think, and you think too, so it's bound to be a success. The Rotten Tomatoes numbers, as of now, this will absolutely change because there are 18 reviews that weren't there a day before. When I looked at this the first time, I think Tuesday afternoon, the average is 7.1 out of 10 for the Rotten Tomatoes critics, and the percentage, 89%, very strong, and 91% of audiences. So, so far, one of the best-reviewed movies that Sandler's ever had, but it's only been a matter of days it's been out. So when we post this, that will all change. We acknowledge that we're timely. 
We've been timely a few times, though, and seen movies we haven't seen before this year. We didn't see King Richard until we watched it for the podcast, coinciding with the Oscars. Forget the slap. We didn't know that was going to happen. But we <laughs> covered that because... <laughs> Something terrible is going to happen, Ryan. I can feel it. <laughs> but we watched that this year as a first-time viewing, and now this one, Bruise, was the other one. We hadn't seen that before either. So at That's least right. three movies this year that we had never seen before. Now, we've barely talked about the second lead in the film, Juancho Hernan Gomez. Hope I'm saying that right. But he leads into the nutshell because, of course, his character has real problems with taking heat and the trash talk, which I find interesting because when Stanley Sugarman first sees him playing street ball, I wrote down, I didn't get his name, so angry guy who's challenging him, you can't beat me, and then Bo stuffs him three times to win a bunch of money because that's part of the reason why this movie is called Hustle because that's what Bo is doing. He's working construction, but he's also a hustler for basketball. So it seems like he could take the heat But here is Hustle in a nutshell, because this becomes such a theme in the last half of the movie. A large Spanish construction worker doesn't like having his feelings hoit. (laughs) He really doesn't. Well, actually, I can understand why. And this is a smart moment when Kermit sees the daughter on the stands. Ah, the inn. Like Mr. T in Rocky Three. Hey, woman, come over and be with a real man. That's a good one. But he actually waves to the daughter who waves back. And that really gets under Bo's skin. But it doesn't completely jibe with the guy we saw back in Spain who would probably have faced all kinds of hustles. It probably would have been the generic yo mama type stuff. Right. And his mama's alive. So if this guy's so sensitive, it would have been a matter of, what are you saying about my mama? I didn't entirely buy that element of his character. But I think the non-actor basketball player in this first ever role playing Bo did a pretty good job of doing that, except I am mocking it (laughs) with a nutshell. (laughs) I can't take it. Because more than once... He loses it. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, he was a street baller. Maybe he would have gotten away with, A, the competition probably wasn't as high as... Oh, of course not. Definitely not. And maybe he can get away with more physicality. If somebody says something that really gets under his skin and he pushes them, then, okay, it's street ball, whatever, versus pushing and almost punching Kermit in the combine is a different thing. What I didn't really fully understand anyway is why the draft was the be-all and end-all Aside from it just being a plot device that they had to work towards in the movie, Mm -hmm. it's not like it's unheard of for players to go undrafted and sign as free agents, whether out of America or internationally. Probably more so internationally, right? Yeah, it happens all the time. I did enjoy the early scene in the movie with the guy whose name I'll never be able to pronounce. He actually played for the Bucks for a while. I don't know if he still does. 22, who's that? My son, he's 12, that character. Oh, that guy, yeah, yeah. Why does it matter how old he is? It doesn't really matter. If he wants to sign as an international free agent, he can sign as an international free agent. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it doesn't mean that much. I also, until watching this movie, I didn't know there was an NBA combine. I didn't either. The NFL combine is pretty famous. The only one I've ever heard of is NFL, though. I know there's an NHL one. Oh, okay. That became something I became aware of only because I remember years ago, Sam Bennett famously could not do a single pull-up. And everyone <laughs> ragged on him and his comment was Hey, like, I can't either. But I do like KFCs. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember ever hearing about NBA prospects going to a similar combine. I'm assuming they didn't make it up for the purposes of the movie. But Bo gets multiple chances, though, to try to impress. And he does, but then he doesn't at the same point because he's not mentally tough. Yeah. It was a pretty good touch that it looks like he's going to slug Kermit for what he does for what he's saying, at least, what Kermit's saying, but instead slams the floor with his hand. Gets control of himself at the last mm-hmm. second, I think, right? Which you would think would go a little bit of ways to people saying, okay, well, he's got a temper issue, which isn't the end of the world when he's mm-hmm. young and isn't even in the league yet. It didn't actually hit the guy. So that should mean a little bit of something, but you need the drama in this film. 
Did you believe when Bo went to the airport that that was the end of the movie? Because no way it was going to be the end of the movie. I didn't expect necessarily, though, that he'd be ready to go on the plane. And then Stanley would walk away, hugging him as his new dad, basically. But then getting the call from Leon. And I did not know, by the way, that Kenny Smith was an actual NBAer. You didn't know about Kenny the Jet? He won with the Lajuan. He was with Houston, yeah. yeah. Because he's pretty good in this movie. He's got a lot of screen time for a... Well, he's an actor now, but he wasn't an actor before. He was a basketball player before, an actual NBAer, one of the many. He's also in Just Right, by the way, with Queen Latifah. I don't know how big a role he has in that. She's the lead with Common in Just Right about basketball. I think she's a therapist, physical therapist. And Common, I believe, is the male lead in that. Kenny Smith's also in Thunderstruck. I think he's only in three movies, and they're all basketball movies. But I think he's pretty solid in this film as the former friend. Well, not former friend, sorry, the current friend. And then, of course, we find out the backstory about how Sandler, stop short. (laughs) (laughs) Stop short. And held it back, Kramer. Yeah. But he held his friend back and then ruined his hand in the process. Wait, wasn't it the left hand? It was his left hand, yeah. So how did he hurt his left hand if he stopped short with the right hand? He must have gone across, which is weird. He tried to hold him back. He did. He probably saved his life by the sounds of it. Which I guess also implies that Leon wasn't wearing a seatbelt. Has to be. How are you going to hold back, though, a guy of any size, especially a big, tall NBA caliber size person, 200 and whatever pounds he is, at that speed? No matter how strong you are. Maybe Sandler in his youth in this universe, young Sandler was the Terminator. Like jacked, right? <laughs> and maybe that's the gag, right? He's become a little bit of like a doughy middle-aged guy when he used to be just an absolute unit. I wondered about that because Sandler does play some basketball in this a little bit by throwing balls at Bo yeah. and that kind of thing. He's involved. But I got wondering, is Sandler truly just posing? Because he's played a hockey player slash golfer in Happy Gilmore, a football player in Waterboy, a football player again in The Longest Yard, and now here a basketball player. But I was curious, so I Googled it last night on YouTube, and when you see clips, this dude plays pickup. He can play. He can pass. He can shoot. And he's a pretty good dribbler. He's a triple threat? (laughs) He's a triple threat. I could not do two of those things. I'm an okay passer, maybe. I can't dribble at all. We've said before I could always shoot pretty well. But you see clips online of Sandler playing with some other guys. I think it's just regular people, and he's the movie star. But they're not just giving him the room to, oh, Adam Sandler's going to shoot here. The dude can play. I was a little bit surprised considering that, that Sandler didn't actually shoot the ball more in this movie. I'm a little surprised you don't see a situation where Bo's shooting, and then so is Stanley. Yeah. Maybe because the logic is that his hand is so messed up he couldn't possibly shoot. But if it's a left hand, that's the base hand. It still throws off your ability to properly direct the ball. True. To answer your earlier question, I never thought that the scene where Bo goes up the escalator to his flight at the airport... Was the end of the movie? (laughs) Where it did get me, well, I guess this is the only time that Sandler does actually shoot, is he's at the base of the escalator, he does the miming of shooting a shot, and Bo mimes blocking the shot. Mm -hmm. You can't even let me have one, Mm -hmm. and then up you go. I thought for sure Bo was going to get up to the top and then turn around and Sandler was still going to be there, and it would be like a, no, we aren't done yet, and they'd come back together. That would have been good, too. Instead, he turns around, looks down, and Sandler's just gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, all right. <laughs> and then when he gets that call from Leon to say, hey, we got this secret little game, just prospects, NBA players and execs, no media. I got your boy in. Come down. I think he says the Bronx, right? That would make a little bit of sense. That'd be a bit of a hike then, yeah. Philly to New York is not we a long them. drive, but it's not close. No, it's not close. We see them gunning it to get there in time. Sandler says, well, I can't. He's already gone. Has the plane taken off? No. (laughs) Well, then go get him. And then I thought for sure it would be like one of those rom-com moments where Sandler's running up to the gate. Don't get on Mm. the plane. But instead we cut to them getting to it. That was pretty smart, actually. So we cut it out. We took a little break there, actually. Bev is home. She had to go to the washroom, and I refilled my beverages. Chris doesn't have any alcoholic beverages, but you had, I assume, tea again? I decaffeinated green tea. That's right. And you just opened up the... Sugar-free root beer. 
<laughs> I go hard, Ryan. Mr. Health. Well, Sandler's not Mr. Health in this movie all the time. We know that already, including the Federal Donuts shirt he has on. <laughs> I like that shirt. That's a good shirt. <laughs> which apparently is a real thing in Philly, I guess. This movie is truly Philly. It is set there mostly. There are some New York scenes, maybe just establishing shots. I don't yeah. know if they actually were in New York, but you definitely see New York stuff. And then Spain, of course, too. He's in Spain to see some other guy, mm-hmm. but then finds Bo accidentally. Which reminds me of another movie, because the worst thing about this movie is that it does rip off almost everything else that's ever come before. Rocky, we know. Jerry Maguire, we know. But also the air up there. Kevin Bacon goes to Africa specifically oh, to find the prospect, right. I believe. I think that's the whole point. And that's that whole white guy in Africa thing. And he assimilates with them and starts to care about the guy. But it still felt like, and that was my nutshell when the movie was about half over, is this the air over there rather than the air up there? <laughs> the air over that in Europe. Good. I like that. So during the break, we were talking about we want to get back to Sandler as a player and what he could actually bring to this the dude can play. This movie definitely pays homage to a lot of those. And sometimes, like I said earlier, very openly, I feel like it acknowledges that. Fact. Pretty smart, though, to actually literally say it. Yeah, right? Then you just shut us up. We've talked about it, but what can we really say about it? Oh, you're stealing from Rocky when they're saying they're stealing from Rocky. Exactly. What this movie does that is also very smart, I said earlier, I really like the writing and I credit the writers for this, too is they take a lot of those tropes and a lot of those played-out sport movie concepts, but they tweak them. And that expectation of seeing Stanley play is one of those things that's baked into us as people that watch a lot of sports movies, because you kind of expect you're going to have the older mentor character, you're going to have the younger upstart who won't always listen to what the mentor is saying, and that older mentor will have to put the young guy in his place you don't think I know what I'm talking about? Let me show you. I might not be young anymore, but I still got the skills, right? Mm -hmm. Especially as this movie goes along and a little bit more of Stanley's backstory is exposed and we hear about how he was a star at Temple. He had all kinds of skills. He's very self-deprecating when you hear him talk about the player he once was prior to his hand injury. But they had a shot at a national championship, he said. Yeah, he said that that accident that he caused because he was driving drunk and he was distracted cost that Temple team a shot at the championship. The implication later on from both himself, other players, and Queen Latifah's character is that if he hadn't blown up his hand in that car accident, he would have been an NBA player almost certainly and might have been a great one. You learn all this about him, and then at a certain point towards the latter stages of the movie, when Bo learns that Stanley wasn't totally upfront about the fact that the 76ers weren't paying for him to come over from Spain, it was actually Stanley and Queen Latifah T, I guess, they were just fronting all the costs. This is the kind of thing I like, because that makes sense. If you're Stanley, you're desperate. You want Bo to come over. Likewise, I understand why Bo wasn't totally honest about the assault when he didn't know Stanley yet, because that's the kind of thing that could be a red flag, and he wants this shot at the NBA. So when they're having that later fight towards the end of the movie, I thought, okay, well, here's the moment when Stanley's going to have that heated argument with Bo, where he's like, listen, I can take you all the way, and Bo will say, you're just washed up old man, you don't know what you're talking about, and he says, oh yeah, well let me show you a few White things. men can jump. It would have been hilarious if he dunked on Bo at that point, because Sandler in his 50s is not in the best shape you've ever seen in this movie, <laughs> but throw up a few threes, knock him down, you know, maybe dribble a little bit one-handed or something, and then Bo's like, alright, you got some skills, maybe I'll listen to you. We never get that. And I kind of like it, right? Because it sets up this expectation based not on this movie, but on other movies. So this movie does two things, I thought, very well. One is that it pays off a lot of the stuff it sets up. The trash-talking stuff. The fact that Bo's a little thin-skinned. The accident to a certain degree. Cat. Yep. Cat saying, I'm not going to be a part of this. 
it's Vince's thing, but at the end she comes back. Exactly. And then Stanley, who had the job from his father figure, gets a job again. And at the same time, it doesn't pay off other things. But the things it doesn't pay off are the things that we just, I think, are expecting at this point by virtue of other movies. They aren't things that the movie itself sets up. Does that make sense? So you're glad they didn't pay them off then? Exactly. It's funny to say it does both of these things and both of these things are to the benefit of the movie. But I think that's true in this case. Just talking about Queen Latifah reminded me, she looks amazing. She always is. I think of her in movies that I saw from 20 years ago. and she or looks more, yeah. Exactly the same. Yeah. She's aged a little bit, but not much. Think about Adam Sandler circa 2000 versus Adam Sandler now. Mm-hmm. And he looks age appropriate. Don't get me wrong. It's mm-hmm. fine. He looks different. He's never going to up the score factor in a movie, though. And she still does. Good for her. She was born in 1970. So she is 52, probably 51 when they shot this. But yeah, she's 51 years old. Well, that's the score factor part. Well, we'll talk about it now then since you bring it up. So the beefy young men are often shirtless. Queen Latifah has always been easy on the eyes, but it's a Sandler movie. So it's not the kind of flick that inspires eroticism, I wouldn't no. say. And it's not going for that in any way. But if you like looking at young men, well, not necessarily all young, but men with shirts off and great bodies, yeah. you're going to get this. And I didn't realize till the end credits how many real players in this movie, because I don't follow modern sports the way I used to. I certainly don't follow basketball like I used to. And I didn't know just how many are current NBAers, because so much of this is whatever as himself, whatever as himself, whatever as himself. There's a lot of shirtless basketball dudes in this for sure. But I would argue that that poolside scene with Leon... Where we get the... Ortiz, though. We don't really see that woman. Oh, no, we get the... The older fellow, yes. <laughs> we get the old man boobs. And for I... a certain segment of the population, Ryan, that's just enough. I would take that body at this point if I could be like that. <laughs> Fine. The pandemic wasn't kind to me, Chris. I wasn't kind to myself. We probably didn't get enough of the family stuff. This is a sports movie. That I'd love I... to see the three of them in a movie, just the three of them playing a family. That's the story rather they than a basketball good. movie. We both raved about Sandler's performance. I think we both liked a lot what Queen Latifah was able to do in an admittedly limited part. But even the daughter character, who mm-hmm. was a total unknown to me anyway, she didn't have a ton to do either. But when she showed up on the scene, I thought she was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It had a ton of chemistry with Sandler. And some of my favorite scenes of this movie were between her and Sandler. The first time she meets Bo, and she's like nah. practically drooling over him, and Sandler's just like, all right, take it down a notch there. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, not as obvious as it is in Lethal Weapon yeah. when Rianne is going crazy for Riggs. Yeah. Rianne, get the dessert. <laughs> because it's obvious that the daughter in Lethal Weapon wants to bone, wants to fuck Mel yeah. Gibson's character in the very first movie. Alex is into Bo. And he's supposed to be 22. He was probably a little bit older, but not much. It says on Wikipedia he's 26 now, so he's probably 24, 25 when they shot. And he's a handsome, beefy guy. And she's probably seen basketball players around on her house, but she's seen them around before. And then when she shoots the video that promotes him, she's seen even more of them. So <laughs> that was a cute little touch, definitely. I also like the fact that it wasn't necessarily Stanley that was able to resolve this problem. I already said how much I liked that moment where he's at the depth of despair because he can't get any help yeah. to get Bo into the comfort zone. comfort zone, which we've seen in many movies before. Yes. But if it were not for Teresa, this would be over. Exactly. Because she's the one that calls Dr. J that sets up, is it Instagram? I'm sorry, I'm 48. Really? I don't take pictures much. It's either Instagram or Snapchat or TikTok. One of those. TikTok. Okay. So one of those is trending that he's playing these guys. And one of them is a real nba or Again, I didn't know until the end credits that he was. Tobias Harris? That's it one-on-one, but he's playing various players and doing well. Yeah. 
That's a smart move for a modern 2022 shot in 2021 movie. Yeah. Take advantage of social media to promote yourself. That would work better than anything to do with ABC, NBC, ESPN, any of those things, probably. And another payoff, too, right? And it wasn't just Queen Latifah, right? Because it was the daughter that initially mm-hmm. said, you just want eyes on your player, right? Yeah. doesn't matter how that happens. Well, way back at the beginning of the movie, when Adam Sandler's driving his daughter to that outdoor screening of Evil Dead, he's showing her the video of Dr. J dunking at age 60 or whatever it was. Right, of course. We didn't know it then, but he was also driving distracted, which we later found out was what caused the accident oh, wrecked his nice. head. And his daughter says to him, you shouldn't be doing that right now. You're driving. Later on, when she's the one that says, didn't your doctor friend have a video that had 2 million <laughs> views? I did love the constant gag too that... Queen Latifah and Adam Sandler's characters talked about how their kid was going to be the most athletic baby in the world. And that she's totally disinterested in athletics. (laughs) She comes up with this idea based on something that he showed her earlier. And then, like you said, it was Queen Latifah's character that adds the, well, if you're not going to ask Julius Irving to do it, I'm going to do it. The cool touch there, too, is she calls him, hey, it's T, can you do this thing? And so the implication is she's got her own pull and all that kind of stuff. And cut to the schoolyard. So what about the family? We've talked about Heidi Gardner, who's pretty damn solid as Cat. We talked about Duvall barely being in this. He's been in two other movies we've covered, The Natural and Days of Thunder. We didn't love The Natural as much as we thought we would when we covered it. Days of Thunder is not a great movie, but we said it in that podcast. He's so good as Tom Cruise's mentor in that film. And I watched Kicking and Screaming again on Netflix maybe two, three weeks ago. Why? It's not good, <laughs> but I needed an hour and a half to kill, and that was my choice. Right, fair enough. So he plays, well, Farrell's dad. So it's at least four sports movies he's done. I'm sure it's more than that, but four I can think of because we've covered two, now three. What about Ben Foster, an intense, damn good actor? Yes. Hell or High Water, my favorite movie of 2016, which is, man, six years ago. Hard to believe. I love that movie. Great Him and movie. Chris Pine, his brothers, I think do a terrific job together. He was in Warcraft. We talked about Warcraft, was it two weeks ago? I think we did, right? Because, yeah, the writer yeah. from... The Express, and Ben Foster's in that too. But he's also Lance Armstrong in The Program. So there's been The Program from 1993, which is a football movie, and then The Program where he's Lance Armstrong. So we probably will cover that at some point. I wouldn't say that he's wasted. I would say Duvall is, but I get why because he's a plot device. And maybe your reasons why are what it is. Maybe Duvall can't be in set for very long anymore, and I'll do a day, a favor for Sandler, who I don't know if he knew from before, but okay. But Foster's character, I don't know what you really do with him beyond what they do, but it seems like for such a talented actor, he's giving nothing to work with. I'm just the dick, asshole, pampered son of the owner who's not completely unqualified for this job. It's not like he's Donald Trump Jr. who doesn't belong in this at all, but he probably wouldn't have this gig if it weren't for his dad being the owner. And he is a dick, and he does some terrible things. Not terrible. He does some shitty things in this movie. But I didn't hate him. I just felt like Ben Foster is better than this. Maybe Sandler just wanted to give him a gig. I'm assuming Sandler hired him. Sandler is a producer on this, as is LeBron. LeBron James has a ton of things in the works as a producer, and this is one of the first things he's done. Of course, he did Space Jam Legacy last year. LeBron is getting into producing films, and I think probably mostly sports films. I don't know that for sure. But they were two producers on this, so I'm guessing that Sandler or LeBron said, hey, Ben Foster, really good actor. But then, what a waste. I felt similarly. I really like Ben Foster. The first thing I ever remember seeing him in was The Punisher course he was in the x-men movies as angel and stuff like that but i always liked ben foster just generally speaking i agree with you with helen highwater as well 310 to yuma 310 to yuma he is russell crowe's second in command he is maybe a little bit too much man is he intense in that movie he's so good you're right he doesn't have a lot to do in this movie he basically has to be the guy that frustrates adam sandler he's good as it's written 
But yeah. maybe they could have been written differently to do more with him. I didn't want to hate that character. And I don't mean because I don't want to hate Ben Foster. I just mean within the context of the movie. I don't want to hate the owner because the movie's not really about Sandler versus the 76ers mm. per se. It's more about Bo's journey, right? The 76ers stuff with Sandler is more like a little bit of a B plot line. And Bo has a history. So I can understand why they're a little reluctant, especially in the modern era, to commit to him because that really could hurt their brand. Right. But also, he wasn't interested in the first place. Maybe he's wrong, but if Vince doesn't want this guy and now he has a history that isn't completely favorable, marketable, who can blame him for not wanting to bring him onto his team and pay him millions of dollars a year? Apparently, he gets $900,000 a year, prorated at least, just as the minimum in the NBA. Yeah, rookie minimum. They do okay. (laughs) The movie does take pains. I don't really know why, because it does feel slightly needless, ultimately. But it takes pains to set up Vince as a Donald Jr. character. And when Vince and Stanley are ultimately fighting and Stanley ends up quitting, his insult to Vince was, you born on third base, spoiled brat, or something like that. He's never really had to put in a lot of effort or learn to be any good at anything, because he was born on third base and just waiting for his dad to die before he can cross home plate and take the reins, right? So They didn't paint him that much of an asshole, though, before. No, they just painted him a little bit incompetent, overconfident, perhaps. But yeah, he basically just keeps showing up at various points, watching Bo play and being like, yeah, he's fast, but is he tough? Yeah, he's tough, but can he shoot? Yeah, he shoots, but can he play defense? <laughs> Which is what an owner or a scout would do in the first place. Yeah. And Bo is not tough mentally through a lot of the movies. He's not right. wrong. Some of those criticisms, like you said earlier, about the history and about maybe some of the mental toughness, he's not wrong. The James Dolan comparison to me is not too far off because the owner might not be right. And oftentimes I think the owner shouldn't be involved in the day-to-day operations because you hire the best people you can, yeah. let them do their thing. But they're still the owner. And if they want to make a decision and that's the decision, that's it. They have their reasons. You've made your case and decided against it. You don't like it? Okay, go work for another organization. Duval is alive where Stanley makes the case against Haas, but Vince wants Haas. So then eventually Stanley just says, all right, fine. Mm-hmm. And that's what bothers Rex, Duval's character. Why'd you back down? Never right. back down, which is a phrase we hear, not constantly, but several times through the whole film. And tattooed on... Bo's arm at the end of the movie. Right. The space he left for the dad, the left arm, wasn't it? Because also, this is the dad. As I said before, Stanley's his dad figure. So, of course, you leave your arm for the dad tattoo. Well, now here's the actual dad figure with his slogan that he got from his dad figure. That's right. Did you also think that Ben Foster looked kind of weird with a shaved head? Yeah, but also with a beard, right? Because I've never... Pointy? I've never thought about that, about Ben Foster. I never thought he had a big forehead area and a small face. Do you think he was wearing a bald cap over his hair? He could have been. And that's why the top of his head looks so big? You've seen that before where people wear a bald cap and think, yeah, it looks a little bit weird. He's no Stone Cold Steve Austin. His head shape reminded me of the Halloween candy corn shape. And it was really distracting. (laughs) I think you might be right. It might be makeup. If that's the case, why did he have to be bald? (laughs) If he's balding and he just wanted to shave his head, fine, whatever. But if it was a bald cap, that's a weird choice. I could see the actor saying, I want to do this thing. Fine, Ben. We got you in the movie. We're glad we have you. He just decided there's not a lot for his character to do. So this is the choice he's going to make. I want this look, at least. Yeah. (laughs) So at the end of the movie, five months has passed when Bo's gotten another chance. And finally, it sounds like, well, then again, I like this twist. This is a smart move. It seems like Kat's going to say... Stanley gets to be an assistant coach after all. We know that because the five months later thing right away, we see the sign on the door. We know he's back. 
It would have been absolutely fine if it had been suggested that Cat also signed or drafted or just picked Bo to be on their team. It would have made perfect sense. But I like the touch that it's the Sixers versus the Celtics, and Bo is a Celtic. You've got this guy who's going to come over and say, hi, good to see you. First game against each other. I don't know if it's supposed to be the first game of the season, but first game against each other. We're going to try to beat you, but you're still my friend. I still love you. That happens in the league. I'm sure some of the best friends in the world of sports are on opposite sides for their entire career. And that's what this movie suggests. So it would have been fine if Bo was with the Sixers, but I like the touch that he's with the Celtics. And as we record this, not as we post it, because by then the NBA Finals will be over. We are somewhat coinciding, except this movie came out too late for us to actually get this up in time for the June 9th slot, which would have made more sense, I guess. But by the time this episode goes up, the NBA Finals will be over for, I think, five days. If it goes seven, it has to go seven for that to be true. But the Celtics are in the Finals against, of course, the Warriors. I do slightly disagree in that I don't think it would have been fine if he had been drafted by the 76ers. Too easy? I think that would have been too easy, too saccharine. Uh, Everything was just so tidily wrapped up. So when we get the five months later shot of Sandler in his assistant coach's office, I was like, oh, that's cute. And Doc Rivers knocks on the door and says, let's get out there. And they go out. I was groaning a little bit inside because I was already thinking, oh, great. So now we're going to see Bo in a 76ers uniform. That's a little too neat and tidy. I agree with you in that I love the fact that they didn't put him in a 76ers uniform. I love that moment where they meet on the court. And equally, I love the moment after they part when Tobias Harris on the 76ers is getting out to warm up. Mm -hmm. Sandy grabs him and says, listen, if 22... Stanley. Oh, sorry. Sandy Wexler, another Netflix Sandler film. (laughs) Yeah, Stanley grabs Tobias Harris and says, 22 on the Celtics. And of course, Bo took Stanley's 22 number. Yeah, nice touch, touch, yeah. Says if he goes to his right, he's going to drive yeah. to the basket. If he goes to his left, he's going to pull up for a jumper. Because this is the job now. I love you, but i got to beat you. And I thought that was honest, right? Because exactly what you said. A lot of these players are very good friends, but then once the ball tips, then you're just trying to win the game, right? Yeah. There's no friends out there. So I thought that was a really nice way to wrap up the movie. Capped off with that, he really is a pseudo-dad to Bo now. Because, look, he got a tattoo on his right arm with that famous Never Back Down slogan that Stanley was trying to reiterate over and over to Bo over the course of the movie. The left arm, but in any case, yeah. Was it the left arm? I think he it said was the left, it was left arm, one. Right. He left available with no tattoos. Right. We've not said the name until now. Jeremiah Zagar, I think I how you say his last name. Only his second movie ever. I saw this movie. Don't remember it, unfortunately. We the Animals was his first was ever film. Director? Yes, the director. Okay. Yeah. So he directed We the Animals, and now he's directed Hustle. I think he has a few things in the works. He's directed a few documentaries and a little bit of TV, but only two so far feature films. If this was a theatrical release, it probably should have done pretty well. Sandler's name and everything attached to it. Although R-rated wouldn't have helped because they do swear a fair amount in this film. The writers, Will Fetters and Taylor Matern, first ever screenplay for that person. But Will Fetters got an Oscar nomination for co-writing A Star is Born. So he's been around a little while now. That's a pretty good film, of course. And I mentioned already that Sandler, LeBron James, Joe Roth also produced this movie. Joe Roth produced Major League and Angels in the Outfield, two movies we've covered in the past. I think Zagard is a very good job of finding dynamic camera angles. Yeah. Not constantly. He's not trying to be too flashy, but he finds new ways to shoot action in basketball because there have been so many basketball movies. And some good low-angle shots, Mm -hmm. especially during the training montages and things Mm -hmm. like that. Modern basketball players are so fast and powerful, not to rip on guys from the 60s and the 50s and the 80s, whatever. They were good too. But these guys, even the mediocre player, we've said this in other podcasts before about baseball players and whatnot, the physical attributes of these guys are so impressive. I didn't realize how many real basketball players we're seeing, meaning NBAers. But even beyond that, these guys are convincing when they're dunking or passing or dribbling or just running up the court. They're incredible athletes in tremendous shape. So the basketball action, I think, is 
maybe even just better than good. It might be even awesome. Yeah, I thought it was great. And it helps when you do cast as many NBA players as they did. And not just the Kermit character who's got a sizable role, not just some of these other players that show up for a scene or two with speaking parts. There's a lot of NBA players that show up in bit parts, especially around the 76ers. Matisse Tybel and Tyrese Maxey and Seth. Seth Curry's in it too, playing a 76er. Are you thinking of Steph Curry? Sorry, I just realized that as I said it. It's Steph Curry. It's his brother. Oh, who, I didn't who know. Who does that. play for the 76ers. Okay. Oh, uh, knock on the head. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, Steph. I thought the action was great. And there is a very long training montage in this movie. There's like, several montages. But the one in the middle when he's really going full Rocky. Like, gonna dunk now. Yeah. Well, gonna run up the hill now. Also true. When he's doing all that and he's doing all the ball handling drills and good players know where you are in the court, great players know where everyone else is in the court. It got me thinking about why I really do love training montages in movies like Rocky, but it hasn't really played for me in other movies. Because this movie shows you in a way that makes perfect sense what they're doing and why they're doing it. Or they at least tell you, right? Like that comment, good players know where they are on the court. Great players know where everyone else is on the court. And then you see him running around, touching lights and stuff. You're not left running. Why is he chasing lights? Why is he running up to a fan with a cone, putting it down and backing away? Within the montage, they explain, all right, you're going to have to react quick. So when you put this cone down, it's going to blow back towards you. Don't let it touch you, right? So it's all like reaction stuff. And we see him doing stuff with weighted balls while dribbling. We see him trying to pass through a rolling tire because it's a small target. All these really interesting drills But I was never left guessing, what is this supposed to be helping him learn? It was always very clear what they were doing. Why didn't he chase a chicken? I really wish he had been a greasy, fast Spanish tank in this. (laughs) (laughs) They can catch a chicken, you can catch Apollo. What would the Spanish equivalent of that be, though? If he's not chasing a chicken... paella. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to be chasing seafood, just swimming. Real Spanish paella. Bev and I had it in our honeymoon. Man, is it good. It would be pigs, right? Iberico ham... He'd be chasing a greased pig up the hill or something like that. That would be <laughs> Greasy, insane. fast, Italian pig. You know, one question I had throughout this whole movie, once I saw the actor's name in the Spanish credits, pig, by the way. <laughs> what did I say earlier? I just said Italian oh. pig. That's why I had to interject. Oh, we're losing it. Why didn't they just have this guy's character named Juan Cruz? It would have been both a more Spanish-sounding name than Bo Cruz, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it would have been more true to the actor's name, and it just would have felt easy. It just sort of struck Well, me. Bo is a strange name for... A Spanish guy? Had been a Chinese guy? A Russian player? A German player? Maybe they just needed it because there are a few moments when Kermit is ragging on him and saying Bo knows or strong like Bo or something, which I assumed was a reference to Bo Jackson because he was famously an immensely strong guy. Yeah. Did you think Cruise Missile was a good nickname? It's fine. I like that was a recurring joke, though, that Bo doesn't like it. I thought it was cute, too. You can do better, Adam Sandler. Well, and Boa Constrictor is at least explained by Dr. J, but the fact he has to explain it Cruise Missile makes more sense compared to Bullock Constrictor. Yeah, on its face, of course, Cruise Missile makes more sense. I did like that moment where he's on the street ball court miming how Bo's going to strangle the life of you. Good for you, Dr. J. That's a good nickname, though, the Boa. Well, it's like Kobe, right? The Black Mamba. And Kobe is name-checked in this movie when he gets the pair of Kobe's. Because yeah. apparently Kobe got up every morning at 4 a.m. to get to practice before practice. Well, this movie relies on real NBAers, and that's smart because I'm sure that players that are playing now are talking about other NBA players all the time. Michael Jordan is not really mentioned, I don't think. No. But we do see, as we've said before, Dr. J and Allen Iverson is in this movie. Shaq and Charles Barkley playing their now commentator roles. And then commentators like Dan Patrick and Ernie Johnson, I think is his name. Yes. And probably 40 others. And I love the fact that they did get that cameo out of AI 
because mm-hmm. of course we're talking about the 76ers is there a more famous player in recent memory Dr. J and AI are the two most famous exactly and Barkley I guess too but Barkley was with multiple teams I mean, he was more like a son maybe a rocket but yeah his early career of course a son's <laughs> is it like attorneys general the <laughs> Phoenix's son I don't know <laughs> I love that cameo, especially because it's like practice. We talking about practice. You don't need no yeah, stinking practice. Way, yeah, right? yeah. Like, well, I think no, he's best maybe. known for, other than being a great player, is that practice thing. But if you were totally ignorant of basketball, I could see how you would miss a lot of these things. It's yeah. almost like watching The Simpsons when you're a kid, right? You get half of what's going on, right? But half of it was so intelligent back in the '90s that you don't get it until you watch it as an adult. You're like, oh, I see what they were doing there. I think the same thing's true here. And I think a person could like this movie, though, if they're not oh, yeah. a basketball fan. That's why I say The Simpsons, because I loved The Simpsons when I was a kid. But when I watch it as an adult, there's another layer to that intelligence of the show way back when. Yeah. But I agree with you. I think you can like this movie. But if you're a basketball fan, there's a lot more in it for you. And how many movies have we talked about where we've criticized them because it felt like they didn't even know their own sport that they were mm-hmm. talking about? This really does. Oh, yeah. And there's so many callbacks to sport personalities within basketball or to basketball itself that you know that the writers, they made sure that this was on point with their basketball. For a movie that is so fixated on a basketball journey, we've covered a lot of quote-unquote sports movies where the sport might be in there for only a very small percentage this of time. This is a lot of basketball. It's a lot of it. So the fact that they knew their stuff, made sure that it was on point, mm-hmm. just added to everything. I would give it a 7 out of 10 at least. And maybe I should go a little higher, but it wasn't great, probably because of the fact it's treading well-trodden territory. Yes. And it's a bit of a waste for Duvall and Foster and even Queen Latifah. Not that they don't get some good moments. They do. Sandler is terrific in this film. One of his better performances of all time. Basketball action is really good. I was wrapped up. I enjoyed it. I'll probably watch it again one of these days. And once we release this podcast, it'll only be a couple weeks old. So maybe other people will have reviewed it, but we're still on the cutting edge in a way. So at this point, I'd say seven. Another review, I might even give it an eight. Frankly, I came into this thinking I was going to give it a seven and a half, like a three out of four star kind of deal, mm-hmm. right? Because I agree with you. It's not a perfect movie by any stretch, but I thought it was really good. I think we are, as an audience, trained to have a low bar for Adam Sandler. But at the same time, I think what you said earlier is true. When he focuses his energies on a non-silly role these days... He can be damn good. Yeah. The last six, eight, ten years, whatever it's been, when he's worked with Netflix... He's done some of his worst work. I haven't really watched them. I'm basing on what people are saying and the reviews and such. But also some of his best, like Uncut Gems, like the Meyerowitz stories, and now this, which is Netflix, granted. But he's done some excellent things in the last few years and then some terrible things. I really liked him. I liked everybody else. If he got a nod for something out of this, would you be upset about it, though? Not upset, no. If he got a nod for best actor in something, I'd say, sure, why not? Well, the ESPN Awards, it wouldn't be surprising if you get something like that. The ESPYs? Oh, she should, absolutely, in yeah. that case, yeah. At Robert Duvall's funeral. Hold on. It's Robert Duvall in a sports movie. We've talked about this before. <laughs> the Exhale. That's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> <sighs> so at his funeral, <laughs> Sandler's character shows up in, I guess, his best suit. Mm-hmm. Was that the same suit? that he wears in the water boy the baby powder blue I'll look it up i don't know thing. maybe i'm pretty Could be sure a call it back. is and i loved it so much when he showed up on screen wearing that i'm like that's fantastic well, it's been 24 years maybe that was a callback if i'm just making that up and it just looks vaguely similar i'm going to be disappointed because i really want it to be the same suit <laughs> all right well if you haven't seen hustle you've had a few weeks it is on netflix and we obviously highly recommend it Good job by Sandler and everybody else. And Zagar, good job directing it too. A newcomer, not new, I guess, but hasn't made that many films yet. So we hope you enjoyed the, and I do say enjoyed, past tense, the NBA Finals that just wrapped up. 
So in two weeks, we will be timely because the Tour de France will be ongoing, I think for a while after we release this podcast. So let's talk about one of the best-known cycling movies of all time, if I can find it on DVD or streaming. I'm sure we can somewhere. Mm-hmm. Breaking Away, 1979, and it is on the top 10 sports list. I think it's ninth, 10th, somewhere in there. Okay. One of the most popular sports movies of all time. Dennis Quaid, I think, is in that. We're going to cover him a lot this year if he's in that because we want to do The Rookie soon, too. Yes. And we just did The Express. Well, we could do three Dennis Quaid movies in four weeks. Maybe we are four <laughs> episodes. I think we might. It'll be Quaidmas. The Summer of Quaid. The Summer of Quaid. There we go. Also, Daniel Stern's in that, and I think Jackie Earl Haley is in that, who was in Jackie Earl Haley, really? Bad News Bears. Yeah. yeah I haven't okay. seen it in a long time. I think I'm right about that. So that is in two weeks, breaking away. We're on Twitter. I'm at MovieFiend51. Chris is at Scoring at Movies. Find us wherever you get podcasts. We're on all the various places you can do that. And, of course, the website is Scoring at the Movies. And the email is Scoring at the Movies at gmail.com. So contact us in many places. Take her easy, Bo Cruz. You just might make it in this league. Namely, because the guy playing you already did make it. Don't take it easy. Never back down. (laughs) Never back down, Bo Cruz.